So this morning, um, we're, we're looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Um, welcome to Epiphany on the church calendar. Welcome to Epiphany. Now, I'm not going to say too much about that. Uh, you can Google it later if you want to, or if you'd like to, you can Google it now. That's fine. Um, but one of the things that we do uh, during the season of Epiphany is is we look at different stories where God reveals himself uh, in, a, in kind of a new way or a surprising way or a refreshing way or somebody has an experience of God that makes them go, oh, that's not what I expected or that's bigger or different than I had previously thought or believed. Um, and so here's a story uh, where that kind of happens. Uh, and, and John, the writer of Revelation, uh, is sort of relaying this to a community of people uh, who might really need to hear uh, about his experience um, with, with Jesus. So, um, Revelation 1, 9 through 20. You can follow along behind me. If you've got it with you, you can do it like that. Um, but let's, let's spend a, a moment in prayer. God, as, as we pause, we, we stop for a moment and we ask that you would that you would help create space in our minds and our bodies right now where we can be ready to listen. And we humbly ask that you, that you would speak, however it is that that happens. By your Spirit, you would speak to each of us. And that in the hearing of you speaking, something new would be created in us, that you would change us, that you would transform us into people who look and live and love and act like, like you, Jesus. Amen. Revelation 1, 9 through 20. John says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We will go that far. Imagine seeing that. Imagine being where he was and then hearing a voice and turning around and experiencing the divine like that. Such a good, good story. Um, So I want to start like this, and this is just an observation uh, about social media in general, just a a little bit of my own commentary. So so we're thinking about Facebook, X, or Twitter. Come on, why did they do that? It's so dumb. Twitter's way better. Um, Anyway, uh, Insta, TikTok, uh, you name it, all of it. Okay, this is just sort of a Uh, this is my commentary on some of it. Social media can be really good for all sorts of different things, right? Uh, You you create this online community, you connect with people who might, you might may have known like in high school and now they live far away from you and you can kind of communicate and stuff. It's, It's good for that sort of thing, but you think about the web of connections that you have uh, through all of your social media platforms, but think about, think about the stuff that you see. Think about uh, the articles that you read, the stuff that people say. Think about the videos that people, that people post on them. Th- here's what I've noticed. If you indulge in just sort of a, like a light scroll of any of your social media platforms, sooner or later, you're going to come across something that somebody else is telling you, you need to fear. Like, you need to be afraid of this. Like, it doesn't take you very long to scroll on social media to come up with somebody ringing some, some alarm bell, right? So here's some of the things that I sort of logged over the last week uh, that we're supposed to be afraid of, okay? We're supposed to be afraid of the president for all sorts of, of different reasons. Uh, have you had this experience, by the way? You're scrolling through and you see, oh, we gotta be afraid of this. There's this new thing that we need to be afraid of. So we're supposed to be afraid of the president. That's one thing for all, dif- all sorts of different reasons. We have to be afraid of processed food. Did you know this? Because it does all sorts of things that we don't like uh, that happen in our bodies. So be afraid of, of processed food. We need to be afraid of sugar. That's a thing to be afraid of. Uh, we need to be afraid of vaccines. Uh, we need to be afraid of Muslims because they're all jihadists. Uh, I'm not saying this. This is what I see, and I'm just reporting to you. We need to be afraid of that. We need to be afraid of atheists because they're trying to take God away from us, which I think is hilarious because how do they do that? Uh, We need to be afraid of public schools 
in the public school system because they, they teach our kids all sorts of things, CRT, all that kind of stuff. Look out. Uh, we got to ban some books. We have to be afraid of books. There are books that we have to be afraid of. Uh, we need to be afraid of illegal immigrants for all kinds of reasons. I'm not going to repeat them here. We need to be afraid of the government, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, because if you listen to both sides, they're, they're both saying the other one is trying to tear this country apart and bring it to pieces. And, and get this, last week I was going to show you the video, but when I, when I pulled it up again, I realized I can't show it in church because there's all sorts of words in there that are not appropriate for this space. But get this, we're supposed to be afraid of broccoli. <laughs> broccoli. Have any of you seen this? We're supposed to be afraid of broccoli. Micah, you're so happy about that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we're supposed to be. Apparently, it has all sorts of stuff in it that cause things like cancer. Broccoli. Broccoli. Are you kidding me, social media? You're trying to make me fear a vegetable. Really? Now, let's be honest. There's some things in there that we probably ought to be concerned about. We probably should pay attention to. But the way that people write things, the way that people make videos and present things, it makes it feel like the end of the world is coming really soon. There's so much hyperbole going on on social media, every platform. Does anybody else get tired of this? Does anybody else get sick of this? Stop telling me to be afraid. Just stop it already. It's like if I'm having a really good day and I think to myself, man, this day is going way better than I deserve. Uh, I'll just get on social media. If I'm overwhelmed by this, this compelling desire to just be depressed, <laughs> I'll get on social media and just start scrolling because I know sooner or later I'm going to come across something that I need to be afraid of. And it's going to bring me down. Right? We'll come back to that. Just hold that idea. We'll come back to that way at the end. But first, let's talk a little bit about John, where he is, and how he gets found. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What is going on with John on an island called Patmos? So John is on the island of Patmos because apparently he was a very important influential leader in the early church and the Roman Empire really didn't like that. So they captured him and instead of killing him, making him a martyr to sort of inspire his followers or his people or his church or his community, instead of doing that, they, they imprisoned him on the island of Patmos. They put him in exile. Now, when we translate that from the Greek... We, say, we translate it as the island of Patmos because it's just an easy way to say it. It kind of rolls off the tongue. But if you were to translate it literally, it would go like this. An island called Patmos. I, John, your brother and companion, I'm on the island called Patmos. Why would he say it like that? The island called Patmos. Most of us, many of us, are from the city of Ames, right? We would, when someone asks us where we're from, we say, I'm from Ames, or I'm from the city of Ames. We wouldn't say, I am from a city called Ames. 
If you're from Des Moines, you wouldn't say, I am from a city called Des Moines. Or if you're from L.A., you would not say to somebody, I am from a city called Los Angeles. No, we wouldn't say it like that because all of these places are familiar to us. I'm from Ames. I'm from Des Moines. I'm from L.A. Patmos, unfamiliar territory here. It's an island. I'm on this island. It's this island called Patmos, right? It's a remote island with about 13 square miles of land. It's a dot in the ocean on the face of the earth, right? Tiny, tiny, tiny. It's a barren island with just a few trees, and it's got a dormant volcano in the middle of it. It's no wonder the Roman Empire thought this is a great place to imprison people and to put them in exile because it's out there. It's this island called Patmos. So that's where John is. Right? He's out on this island called Patmos. It's barren. Right? It's got a dormant volcano on it. And suddenly he's caught up in the spirit and he hears the voice of Jesus. Right? He's on a barren, remote island. He's in exile. He's, he's a prisoner. And suddenly God shows up. I think one of the things that this story is saying to us is something like this. There's not a place we can be, not a single place we can be where God won't seek us out and find us. There isn't a place we can be where God won't seek us out and find us. Now, let's think for a moment because it's important about the people to whom John is writing. So he's writing to a group of people who are under Roman oppression, right? They're under oppression from the Roman Empire. They're losing things like their businesses. They're being marginalized. They're, they're losing their homes because of their faith, because of their resistance to empire. Some of their family, family and friends are being beaten and flogged, thrown in jail. Some of them are facing the prospect of execution. And John says something like this, if God can find me on this island called Patmos, God can find you where you are. There's no place we can be. No place we can be where God won't find us. Think about how extraordinary that is. Think about it. It means there's no hole big enough. There's no depression deep enough. No confusion confusing enough. No grief, no loneliness, no addiction, no guilt, no shame, no pain. There's absolutely no place we can find ourselves where God won't seek us out and find us. As the scriptures say, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee? Where can I go from your spirit or flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there too. There's not a place we can be where God won't find us. So John, startled, turns around to look at the voice that he hears. And what he sees blows his mind. It's like an epiphany. He's now understanding something he may not have understood before. He's learning something new. He's having an incredible experience of the divine. Now, we have to remember what kind of literature we're reading here. We're reading apocalyptic literature. That word apocalypse means 
revealing of that which was previously hidden. Apocalypse means right, seeing that which is really hard to see. The unveiling of that which is hard to see. It's as if John is saying, hey, I know what your experience of life is, but this is what's really going on. It's as if John is is pulling back the thin veil separating heaven and earth, and he's showing us what's really going on. And he describes images by using words and phrases. He describes Jesus using words and phrases and images from the Old Testament, things that his followers would be would be familiar with, images from the books of Exodus and Ezekiel and Daniel. And he's, he's sort of giving us this vision to show us just how big Jesus really is. And look, this isn't warm and fuzzy Jesus. Not even close. This isn't, this isn't best friend buddy Jesus, that's for sure. This isn't blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus with the long robe sitting on the ground with all the little children like sitting on his, on his lap. This isn't blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus with the long robe with the cute little lamb like hanging around on his shoulders. Like you've seen those, those pictures, right? You've seen those depictions. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. No, this is big Jesus. This is cosmic Jesus. This is Jesus dressed like a king, a liberator, a rescuer. Right? This is cosmic Jesus whose hair is white as snow, signifying the wisdom it takes to create the universe and heaven and earth and everything in between and keep the earth spinning out there in orbit full of life and beauty. Right? This, is, this is cosmic Jesus whose eyes blaze like fire having the ability to, to peer deep into the deepest parts of ourselves, both to illumine all of those things that don't belong there and also to burn them away. When was the last time you allowed Jesus to look at you like that, to search you inside and out? This is Jesus with bronze feet, immovable, permanent, there, always, cannot be moved. This is Jesus shining in all his brilliance. So good. Listen to what N.T. Wright says. He says this, we are being asked to imagine what would it look like if the curtain between heaven and earth were suddenly pulled up, revealing the Jesus who had been there all along, but whom we had managed to either ignore or cut down to our own size. This is the answer, he says. A Jesus who is mind-blowing, dramatically powerful, but also gentle and caring. A Jesus who has spoken and still speaks words which explain what is going on in the present and warn what will happen in the future. So John turns around, has this mind-blowing experience of Jesus. He falls down on his face as though dead, which is probably the way any of us would react if we saw Jesus, like had a vision and experience of the divine like this. And then listen to what happens next. 
the cosmic Jesus reaches out his right hand, gently places it on John's shoulder, and the first words that come out of his mouth are, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. First words. I think this is important. I think it's really important because for many of us, whether this was explicitly taught to us or whether it was something we caught, it doesn't really matter. For many of us, we were given this worldview that essentially says that someone somewhere, a divine being, most likely up there, out there somewhere, God, is going to be upset with you if you don't do certain things or live a certain way or believe all of the right things in the right order. You need to do certain things or believe a whole bunch of certain things to sort of get in with this God. And people with this worldview will often say to other people, you know, your life isn't going the way you want it to. You're, you're suffering because you're just not right with God. You need to get right with God. Have you heard that before? Oh man, you, you need to get right with God. And that breaks my heart. Because that, that's a spirituality that's based on manipulation right there. Because the implication is you need to act a certain way, you need to believe the right things to get right with God. It's a spirituality based on doing. I need to do certain things to get right with God. I need to believe certain things to get right with God. I'm suffering. Things aren't going the way I want them to. I'm not living the right kind of kind of life. I'm doubting some things. I'm questioning some things. And God must be angry with me. Like this is a spirituality based on fear and manipulation. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of that spirituality. I can't do it. Can you? It's tiring. It's not hard for me to imagine the people to whom John is writing. It's not hard for me to imagine them saying to one another, we're suffering under Roman oppression. We're losing our homes. We're losing our businesses. We're being marginalized. We're facing prison. We're facing, some of us, some of the people we know and love are facing execution, right? Because we're just not doing things right. We're not living the right kind of life. We're not showing the right amount of faith. We're not doing enough things. And God must be displeased with us. And then Jesus shows up all big and cosmic and flips that whole idea right upside down. Cosmic Jesus gently reaches out and places his right hand on John's shoulder and says, no, don't be afraid. By the way, that's one of God's Favorite things to say in all of the scriptures. You'll find it everywhere. No, 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 no. Don't 
be afraid. Jesus says, there's nothing you can do to get in with me, to get right with me. We just celebrated Christmas, right? Jesus says, I've already come to you. I'm already on your side. I'm standing here among the lampstands, among the churches. I'm here. You're not being punished. There are all sorts of terrible things that happen in this life, and, and I'm right here with you, enduring them all right by your side. In fact, I've already endured the worst that humanity can throw at anyone. I know your pain. I know your suffering. I know your struggle. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. So the next time you get depressed, scrolling through your newsfeed or your TikToks or your Instas or Reels or whatever, you're reading all these things or watching these videos about all this stuff you're supposed to fear, pull out the scriptures and read Revelation chapter 1. Experience the cosmic Jesus walking among the lampstand, holding the seven stars in his hand and hear him say, don't be afraid. Don't let them do that to you. Don't let them manipulate you like that. Don't do it. I am here. Don't be afraid. You're going to be okay. The next time life isn't going the way you want it to go, you're experiencing loss, confusion, doubt, suffering, guilt, shame. Pull out the scriptures and read Revelation chapter 1. Experience the cosmic Jesus by your side. Feel his hand on your shoulder and hear him say, hey, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm here to love you, give you my presence. The next time you mess things up, the next time you, you make a mistake and you're experiencing the, the consequences of that mistake, the next time you give in to, to that addiction, the next time you screw up a relationship, the next time you, you hurt somebody really badly, you pull out the scriptures and read Revelation chapter 1. Experience the cosmic Jesus whose voice sounds like the rushing waters. Hear him say, do not be afraid. It's okay. I'm with you. I'm not here to condemn you. That's not why I've come. I'm here to love you and forgive you and transform you. I am on your side. Do not be afraid. That's the Jesus we meet in Revelation 1. That's the Jesus, the cosmic Jesus, who's dramatically powerful and yet very gentle and caring and loving and present and near. That's all I got. Let's pray.